listening to the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement. Broadcastbasement.com. Welcome to episode 94 of Cinemental. How can you talk if you haven't got a brain? I don't know. But some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. Then why don't you kiss me like everybody else does? How about new? The thing is, Bob, it's not that I'm lazy. It's that I just don't care. I came here like this so you'll know my word of death is true. And that my word of life is then true. everyone, welcome to another episode of the Movie Podcast that we can only hope you enjoy listening to as much as we enjoy making. My name is Stephen Hobicky, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, Hassan Godwin, and Latham Conger III. Our guest tonight, best known for his cult comic series, Minimum Wage, in 2018 realized his childhood dream to become one of Mad Magazine's usual gang of idiots. Alas, Mad was soon thereafter essentially euthanized, and he accepts only partial blame for that. His latest book is the comical Dottie's Inferno, and coming in October, he'll be radically revised author's edition of his novel Pariah, released as Pariah Redux, both published by Heavy Metal. Bob Fingerman, welcome to Cinemental. Thank you for having me. You are uh, very welcome. Uh, another another good hookup from our friend Dean Haspiel, who, uh, who was able to put us in touch Um we had, uh, I believe, our paths had crossed at some point in the past at a convention, I have no doubt. And, uh, you know, uh, this is a uh, uh, just another another good turn from Dean uh, uh, with uh, getting us someone else who loves movies as much as we do. And uh, I know that you do uh, kind of mini capsule reviews on your on your Facebook feed of movies. So, uh, which are fun to go back and uh, I, I spent I spent a little time a couple of weeks ago just drifting through your feed and, and catching up on a bunch of them. They're quite yeah, amusing, most, to say the least. Yeah, most of my recommendations come with uh, a lot of caveats. So, <laughs> as uh, as 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 they often should with people, because you know everyone everyone can't be you know luckily everyone can't be the same and like the same thing. So. Um, so you know what we should we should probably um, we've got two very interesting films to talk about tonight Mm -hmm. so uh, we should probably start suffering from consumption Uh, Latham you want to go first sure Uh, we watched um, we there was this uh, I know Steve knows about it I don't think I think Hassan talked about it one time and i don't know if bob knows about it there is a uh the most famous thing my uh, uh hometown palatine's known for is there was a uh a mass murder that happened here at a brown's chicken uh in 1993 1993 so it's called the brown's chicken massacre some people got killed at this restaurant right down the street from where i'm at and we finally found a um a true crime uh, company that did a special on it, uh, found it on Amazon and watched it. And it's oh, just really, yeah, it's called um, uh, True Blood Seven 
seven in the fr- seven in the freezer or seven dead in the <laughs> freezer. Yeah, it's, it's really really what? blunt, but uh, what the but, hell? I'm sorry, it's called it's called cold blood, cold blood, which is even more punny. Um, and uh, it's just the cool part about watching it for me is just watching all these shots of my hometown from back then, from now. Yeah. Uh, really neat. And, uh, you know, it, it was cool to show it to my daughter because she's really into serial killers right now. So uh, she, <laughs> thought it was, she thought the spree killing that had happened a thousand feet that way was uh, was pretty amazing. So we watched that. You weren't uh, living there at the time, though, were you? You yeah, were in the town, but you were living house. Where you, yeah. Yeah. I was okay. living a little bit further away the night it happened. Um, uh, but that's a story for another time. I, I, right. uh, I had a, uh, a party that night for, I was leaving my house for good, uh, that I grew up in and I had my going away party and that was the night this happened. So oh, anyway, we watched that. It was cool. So that was the one thing I watched on TV besides our normal stuff we've been going through. I did watch one movie though. Okay. And that movie was, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Ah, uh, did you watch it, Steve? I did not. Okay. Um, you can go ahead and talk about it. I, I know the manga or I know the comic very well. Okay. Um, you know, I, 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 I loved it. I thought it was fun. I thought it was, uh, uh, just, you know, it's like, it, it's almost like Edgar Wright wanted to make like a, a video game into a movie and just make it and have all these separate little pop culture points and social um, observations. And he, he wove it together really well. And it was, it's just fun. By the time it's over, you're like, you can't not be smiling when you're watching that movie. I loved it. Uh, I can't believe it. I would have lost money. <laughs> if I bet <laughs> I would have lost money. Oh, you thought I wasn't going to like it. I, I, I wasn't. I didn't think you were not gonna like it. I was certain you were not gonna like it. I, oh, I'm no, dead I was, wrong. <laughs> it's fun to watch. It's uh, perfectly cast. It's. Uh, I mean, there's some. There's a little downtime at the beginning of the movie while they set everything up, but it's uh, once once everything's established, nothing doesn't work. If that makes any sense, it's it's wow. just the time period of how long that takes is maybe. 20, 25 minutes, and then everything really works after that. And it's it, it, it's a lot of fun. And I, I liked I'll, it. I'll agree with that. I'll agree with everything you said. Uh, I think Michael Cera is a really good actor with zero range. <laughs> he plays, <laughs> plays the same same character in every movie. Uh, he's always Michael Cera. He nailed yeah. it, but he's he's got he's got zero range. Um uh, all the cameos, all the little parts are great in it. And uh, obviously it helps to know people in Hollywood if you're making a movie. So, uh, yeah. uh, so no, but I really enjoyed it. And uh, that's all I watched this week. So, wow. Right. Uh, I watched a documentary on uh, the band L7 called Pretend We're Dead. Oh, that's like, kind of one that's of the first things I watched. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then they, they also, their documentary is also named after them. Um, what, what was that on? That was, um, uh, it was uh, acquired through okay. strange means. Um, <laughs> 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 um, I watched Yasuki, 
uh, the Black Samurai cartoon on uh, Netflix. I watch all. I finished all of Shadow and Bone. Okay. I finished all of Jupiter's Legacy. I heard you guys discussing it earlier. So did I. <laughs> Shadow and Bone is a little better, um, but um, <laughs> I watched uh, two episodes of The Bad Batch. That's one we ha- I had watched one already uh, uh, by last week, so there was a second one because their their actual runtime is on Fridays. So they they ran the first episode on the fourth because it was Star Wars Day. So yeah. then of course then, so I watched the second episode. Um, is the second episode as long as the 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 launch no. episode? Okay, it's back to back to normal time because the launch episode was a little over an hour, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched episode of the Equalizer. I'm still liking it. You Good. know, hasn't uh, hasn't hurt me yet. Uh, <laughs> I watched another episode of Clarice. And I'm okay. starting to like it. It's it's growing on me. It's getting stronger. Oh. Even though um, there's just there's just obviously things that they can't talk about and things that they can't do because of the divided licenses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched another episode of The Nevers, which you know I don't know. I'm just sticking with it until it until it ends. Along. Yeah, um, and uh, well, basically they've, it's only six episodes because it they they were greenlit for twelve episodes. COVID hit, so they had to stop. So we don't know when the next six, the other half of the season is going to come out. Right. So we're going to get to this mid-season finale thing, and then it's going to go on hiatus, and God knows when uh, they're going to get around to, to finishing the story. But, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I, f- I find it interesting. Uh, then, you know, another episode of Mayor of Eastland, which is, you know, taking its time, getting to the point, but it's, you know, the acting's <laughs> really good. So um, episode in the last week tonight, I watched a, I watched a movie called Stowaway on netflix with, oh yeah uh, how was that tony, tony collette and so what? that's one of my list it, it's it's good it's um it does leave you with like okay what was that about it does leave you with that but i can't tell you why right yeah <laughs> but okay. you, you are get with a all right what's next you know maybe i'll have a sandwich now um <laughs> now watch this uh this movie about this dude who's going backwards in time like constantly and uh, I gotta say, I liked it. <laughs> I'm, I'm annoyed that I liked uh, Tenet, but oh, okay, but I liked it. Um, I was not confused by it at all. I was prepared to be like I was. I literally got myself set to be bowled over by it, and uh, it was really good. Very intricate. Very uh, info dumpy. Like. Um, like Nolan likes to do. Um, it's not as egregious as a, as Inception, where Inception just like, all right, sit down, get some popcorn. We're going to explain the whole movie in 20 minutes. And if you don't follow, you're not going to understand the, the, the next two acts. That's kind of what Inception did. At least, uh, at least Tenet kind of kept reiterating the rules. So you, you were able to, to keep up with it, to, to understand it. Okay. One or two times, I, I, I almost thought it over-explained it. Um, but I really liked it. It was really strong. Um, I wish I had. I do wish I had listened to Latham and just like watched it in the beginning when it when it was all hyped up and people were going to see it um, because that would that would have probably been a great movie to see with an audience. Um, in, a big, in a big theater. I yeah. Um, 
but it's, I, I really did think it was strong. I really did enjoy it. And I was surprised. I'm as surprised that I enjoyed it as I am that Latham enjoyed uh, uh, Scott Pilgrim. It's just a strange reversal of fortune right there. So we watched both of the movies we wanted to. Steve, did you watch Tenet? Nope, didn't watch either. Wow. Nice, nice job, Steve. Had, uh, <laughs> I, had to, I had to learn how to use uh, Adobe InDesign this week. So, Okay, well, at least, okay. I'll give it to you. And uh, thank you. Think, <laughs> <laughs> yes, you may have that one, Steve. You are allowed. You are allowed one adult, adult of, education. Adult, it, was, it, was a, it was adult <laughs> education week. <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, that's it for me. That was my week. Oh, okay. Re- regardless, we've <laughs> suffered enough, I think. All right. So if everyone's ready, we will uh, dive in. And uh, Bob's uh, feature film pick is The Taking of Pelham 123. 1.23 p.m. A crowded subway train starts its run from Pelham Station in the Bronx. 1.45 p.m. Four desperate, heavily armed men seize control of the train. Open the door or I'll blow your head off. Taking 17 people as hostages. 2.13 p.m. The city of New York is given one hour to come up with a million dollar ransom. No units stand by on the double. What's up, Z? A train's been hijacked. There is no way you can get away with this. You are underground in a tunnel. At precisely 3.13, we are going to begin executing the hostages. From the mayor's office. Don't tell me I don't want to know. To police headquarters. I've got about 50 men inside the tunnel, all wearing vests and armed with machine and submachine guns. To the nerve center of the world's busiest subway system. My only priority is saving the lives of these passengers. Maybe an hour isn't enough time. An hour is plenty of time. What the hell they expect for that lousy 35 cents to live forever? Walter Matthau, Robert Shaw, the most spectacular hijack in history. The Taking of Pelham, one, two, three. From 1974, directed by Joseph Sargent with a running time of 104 minutes. A group of heavily armed men take over a subway train in 1970s New York City and demand a million dollars ransom for its safe return and the lives of its passengers. Meanwhile, a streetwise transit cop who's a liaison between the men and the police try to figure out their plan and how best to stop them. Bob, why'd you pick taking a Pelham 123? Well, you know, I mean, it's one of these things where I'm not super nostalgic about, you know, spending my entire life in New York. I've only been in California now for three and a half years. But there are movies that to me evoke New York really well. There are a lot of movies set in New York that don't really feel like New York. Um, but taking a Pelham 123, and I would also put French Connection in the same sentence, are movies that situate me very much in the New York of my youth. And again, it's not a nostalgia thing, but there is something about New York of that era where that's before New York got really kind of depressing and sketchy. You know, that came later in my youth. But, you know, yeah, it was 1974, so it wasn't. Yeah, it's before yeah. it's, you know, it's before the the famous, you know, Gerald Ford to New York drop dead cover. <laughs> of, uh, I think it was the post. So and, you know, also things like Death Wish, where there's it's New York that is transitioning from fun city to not so fun city and and uses real New York locations in a really good, compelling, dynamic way. 
So there are movies that I like as much for the movie as for just kind of revisiting the past a little bit. Okay. I I remembered seeing this movie when I was a kid, but uh, I had seen the remake more recently. Uh, so I knew the, the, the basic story I was familiar with, but I had not seen this. I had not seen this one uh, in a good long while. And uh, boy, I, I had a lot of fun this afternoon. I like, I got to tell you, it was, it was a blast to. It uh, holds up. And, and what's really what, well, what was kind of interesting to me, because of course, again, also movies of that era set in that thing. The casual racism in it was was actually less than I thought it would be. Um, when it shows up, it definitely is there, but it's not, you know, as pervasive as I might have thought it would be. You know, it's definitely there. Casual but, uh, casual is a great word for it, too, because it's all just done. It's not except for one particular instance it's not done very pointedly it's just all sort of like elizondo really he's but the thing is you know he's also a psychopath and a you know piece of shit right so (laughs) fair point you know there's not a line for him to cross because he's a horrible guy um but there are mathow does call the japanese guys monkeys though when he he doesn't think that they can speak uh uh, english and that's what i'm saying about the whole who let all these chinamen in here and it's like (laughs) he makes a point when he comes in of saying they're from japan (laughs) yep well as i say it's you know that these are the things that situate it in an era it it's brisk it's it's a really brisk movie i mean there's i mostly love it do you what's what's the policy on spoilers on nearly fifty year old movies? Uh, let them fly, please do. Yeah, if you haven't and watched I it by wanna... now, we, most people who have who've taken any time to listen to the show know that we do that. So if they were if they're interested in the film, they'll go watch it and then listen to the podcast. Well, you know, you you mentioned our mutual friend Dean, and like Dean is so spoiler phobic, it makes me laugh. <laughs> like he he literally. A year or two ago on Facebook said he was reading Old Yeller. And I swear to Christ, it was like, I just thought he's got to know how that ends, right? (laughs) I mean, that had to have been spoiled for him by now. I think anything that's really past the half century mark. Sorry, if you don't know the punchline, that's not my problem. That's That's your problem. That's right. But, you know, for Pelham 123, which I think is a really good taught movie, I do think the punchline stinks. That I will say. The the sneeze as the reveal. Mm-hmm. It's not so much that that it's a terrible idea, it's a badly realized idea because Martin Balsam's sneeze is not distinct. You know, it was one of those kind of things where if he had a wackier sneeze right. and you heard it, you'd say, "Oh." But he's just kind of like, "Hit you." everybody sneezes like that so you know it's it's they hung a lot on a weak punchline but before it gets to the punchline i think it's great and 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 the and the look that follows the punchline is unequaled i mean that look when he when he when he when he he clicks the door back open and kind of peeks in walter Matthau is (laughs) might be one of the best things ever in a hollywood film the one thing I did notice watching this movie uh, this morning was the fact that, it, it, and like you said, this is this is one of those movies that 
And this is more, I think, because of everyone who's in the movie is speaking exactly the right way to each other, the way you find a lot of fellow New Yorkers speak to each other. And it's just it's it's got this sort of, again, sort of a a casually antagonistic tone to everything you say and do to all the people, you know, around you. And even when things get heated between two people, it's still kind of the same delivery on stuff. But, you know, the difference between the fact that you're not just messing around with somebody and the fact that you're more serious, even though it's similar statements. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think uh, there the dynamics all feel very authentic in it. The hostages are all in the same boat, but it doesn't mean they have to like each other. Right. But, you know, there's there's, you know, little grace notes of compassion, but there's also very New York irritation going on oh, yeah. between them all. So, yeah, uh, the hysterical mother, the, you know, the, <laughs> there's a couple times when she, the, when she smacks her two kids, yes. like, during <laughs> it's a, like in the like, background and they're like, she's like, just whips the one over and starts smacking him. <laughs> it, it's very real in that just like, wow, it's you, those kids are kind of obnoxious, but they've got it rough. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know what I, and, and that they could have gone down the path of spending more time with the people and, and making a point of like showcasing the hostages. I'm, glad, the I'm glad they don't showcase any of them. I, yeah, me too. Me too. I was going to say, I'm really glad that they just kind of keep the, the, the few interactions you have with them down to that's, just like, that's what the remake did. The remake started getting into the weeds with the uh, the passengers on the on the train and yeah, who you gives know it? yeah it was like <laughs> it's like all right and then you know all the I mean spoiler alert for that it's just gonna get someone killed you know whoever yeah, right. stands up to do anything is just gonna get shot so you're just you're just setting a you're you're setting up a shooting when you do something like that so yeah. it's yeah it's 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 a different kind of movie I mean I th- the movie act- the movie that you you one of the two you did with Dean, or I guess now you're up to four, but that movie, The Incident, mm-hmm. you know, that's mm-hmm. obviously all about establishing passengers. So, you know, when you're spending time with them all before they get on that train car, that's important. That's integral. But, you know, let's face it. I mean, basically, the the people in uh, Pelham 1, 2, 3, they're, you know, they're interesting set dressing, but it's not their story. Right. Right. No, and that, yeah, that, there's props. Like, yeah, and like you said, I mean, it's you know for an for an hour and what is it, an hour and forty four minutes, it cruises right along. There's no there's no oh, dead it really weight, does no dead weight, no dead space to this movie. It's uh, what what's interesting to me is the guy who plays the mayor is such an Ed Koch kind of guy, but it's yeah. way before Ed Koch was yeah. mayor. So yeah. it was four years before everybody always yeah. makes that point, and it's like it's four years before Ed it's, Koch became it's, mayor. It's a riff on Bean, uh, yeah, Mayor well, Bean. Yeah. Uh but who who was kind of a kind of a Koch precursor, kind of a a, <laughs> a really eerie Koch precursor, but Free um Bean yeah. was the worst. I will say that. Yes, he was yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> Hassan, would you like to go bad. would you like to just go ahead and go? Sure. It did this it's a work movie, which I really like. I like movies that get into the intricacies of like obscure strange jobs and certainly uh running the 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 new york uh, subway system is a strange job it's got to be like a you know it's a it's a 
it's like dealing with an underworld. I, I'm, I, who doesn't like Walter Matthau? I think Walter Matthau is great. <laughs> he's, he's almost instantly, I do remember like when watching it again, he's instantly like uh, captivating. I guess that's the best way to say it. Like you're interested, you're instantly interested in whatever the guy says or does or his charismatic. Hmm? Charismatic. No, not Walter Matthau is not charismatic. <laughs> oh, you don't think so? No. I think he is. Uh, no, I wouldn't call it that. But he is compelling. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of like this, this in this intense. He's intensely laconic, like you, like you have to pry words out of him. You know, you want to hear from him, but you have to, you have to kind of prod him to get the, you know, to get the. So whenever he's animated enough, where he's speaking, to the point where, that great sequence where, Robert Shaw like reveals that yeah i've just taken your train and you know in that very dry english accent you know i've just taken your train over which is really creepy you know this disembodied voice it stops the whole office cold you know and Matthau just is the only one who absolutely cuts the bullshit out you know he bullshits all the way up to that point and then he's like all right you know who are you what because the other guy is is a fucking hack <laughs> he's the, one of the worst negotiators you've ever seen he's like fuck you you deranged maniac you stupid lunatic you know it's like you gotta you realize immediately like the dynamic between the two of them you gotta get this guy out of here because he's he's just exasperating the situation whereas um it's a good setup for math out to come and like kind of control the scene you know i remember this movie from when i was a kid i live three stops away from pelham parkway so it was it it resonated with uh with me especially. Uh I didn't see it when it came out because I was only one or two. But I you know, I saw it a couple of years later on television, so it must have been maybe like 76, 70, 78, something like that. And I remember the uh I remember the the what what do they call that guy? The the fat guy, the the engineer, the the motorman. Motorman. I remember him getting killed. I remember that vividly as a kid. You know, definitely. you know, you know who that guy was. Um, no, it's Matthew Broderick's dad. Oh, I had no idea. It doesn't look at anything like him. He was also the, the, what's the actor's name? Something Broadwick. Yeah, well, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Wait, who um, are you talking about? You're not talking about the. I think the character's name was like Kosowitz or something. No, not the, that guy. The motorman on the train. The motorman. The fa- the guy. The guy chewed chewed scenery all the way in front. They were the first ones to notice that uh, that something was wrong with Pelham One Two Three. Mm-hmm. He was he was razzing the uh, the only woman uh, in the in in the office for losing her wedding ring in the toilet. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, that that's that's Kasowitz. Yeah, Kasowitz. That's the the, the okay. So guy. is that Matthew Broderick's dad? No, Matthew Broderick's dad was the guy who was actually physically driving the train at the. Front. Okay, that's not oh. who I'm talking about. Okay. Oh, is it he? He has a he's got another title though. It's something it's not Rakesman, but it's Yardsman or something like that. He's uh his his position um gotcha. sorry is a yeah. My so confusion. but I mean I do remember him specifically. I remember that scene where he gets killed. Not only that, but you know, because death means a completely different thing to you when you're six or seven. The fact that, you know, a couple of scenes later his body is still on the tracks, like they just, you know, they they practically have to step over him 
and that there's two bodies on the tracks and stuff like that. That was a completely like just like this horrendous nightmare for me, no matter how it was done <laughs> when I was a kid. So, you know, just like, you know, that it, I don't know, like I knew those tracks were haunted at that moment. It was just it's really weird. It's a it's a callback when I watched it again. I just had that sharp memory of, of that particular scene. Um, I think the the way they roll this out, I, I I'm not I don't hate the, the remake. Um, it is not nearly at the strength of this movie, like with the character of the movie that it, it tries its hardest. The remake tries its hardest to, to be a to be a love note to New York City and to the, you know, the, the hecticness and the, the frantic pace in New York City. It just doesn't it doesn't do it like this movie. It doesn't capture it like this movie. Um, who knows how accurate the, the nerve center for the trains are for for 1974 movie. But I mean, it. it it showcases uh, uh, that that work environment and what it must mean yeah. to to run a transit system that size very well. You know, it's very believable that that's exactly where you know the where where most of the where most of the disasters are staged because of the, the transit giant system arms with microphones on them that were all mm-hmm. kind of like mm-hmm. at each at each station. Yeah, and it would the only the only weird quirk about that's all of them were brand new. Every well, one of them was sterling, you know, like yes. as opposed to everything else in that <laughs> office, which was, you know, but it doesn't matter. It, yeah. I, that didn't now now they dirty things up. Yeah. Back then they just used stuff and just said, I yeah, they just there's bring these in. Yeah. These are new. <laughs> Fuck off. These are new. It's a, it's a fantastic film. It's a, it's, I, I noticed it with my friends because I watched, we watched it for movie night uh, this week, just, oh, just, nice. for, just for the sake of, and, uh, even the, the two cops, the, the the two delivery guys, you know, who, who were bringing the money in, who got caught in that crossfire and didn't die because in modern movies today, those two guys would have been annihilated. Yeah. You know, if this was made in the, you know, in the, the 2000s, those two, those two guys would not, they would have been comic relief, but they would have been flawed in some way where they were, uh, you know, they were assholes of some kind, or they would have been on the verge of retirement or something like that. And they would have. They would have heart strung those two guys right in front of you. But in this, these two guys, they, they become three dimensional characters. They've got quirks and whatever. They get caught in the middle of a crossfire. The guy who's been hiding in the tracks since the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Kind of kind of reaches out to them and, just, you know, and, and razzes them a little bit. And then they just get up and hand the money over and then they leave. You know, it's, there's some really good stuff. It's a kind of a uh, it, it's it's kind of a great. Uh, character story um it is a beautiful i i was watching it on tuesday and i i did start to get in this i haven't been in manhattan in over a year because of covid so i did really start to get nostalgic for a lot of scenery i mean most of manhattan doesn't look like that anymore but it still <laughs> it still feels like it still feels like the same yeah. city it's a you know it's a great movie it really is i uh i bought the 40th anniversary of it after watching it again, you know, just because I, you know, uh, I just want to have that as, as part of my library to, I forgot all about it. That's why I was really happy when it was chosen for this week. Um, and, uh, I, it was, it was fantastic to relive it. I, I disagree, Bob, a little bit with the, the sneeze. I, I understand what you're saying that the sneeze wasn't distinctive and I get, I get you. I'm not disagreeing with you. I just, I just feel slightly differently about it. 
Um, Walter Matthau throughout the entire film has has was had proved exceptionally intuitive about a lot of these things. That's, that's so that's very fair. You're, you're, I'm being a little. I'm being no, a little I mean, hard it's on fine. it. Unduly, but uh, yeah. Leon Sentimentals call it the helicopter in the tunnel situation, <laughs> where uh, <laughs> no, you, you know, call it. No, I don't have a problem with the helicopter in the tunnel. But though. that we've we've come to colloquialize. No, no, no. We come to colloquialize it as that. Yeah. When people have a, when people get to a point where their imagination will not get them over that one hump, you know, it, it happens to the best <laughs> of us. He, you know, not only that, but they, the gag was done a number of times, not the sneezing so much, but the gazuntite, which is yeah. what I kind of gravitated to because he was, you know, and if they're, if they're, if they're wired for sound, something really big has happened. They're, they've, they've, Track this guy down enough to be rooting through his house illegally, by the way, you know, just yeah. kind of sifting through his, his house, yeah. you know, one tip off, you know, and it's not like that guy was smart because he's got money on the floor. He put well, the rest of his money in the oven. Around in it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> bloody money, too. He was rolling around yeah. in bloody money. Um, so, I mean, I don't I get what you're saying. It just didn't deal break for me just because of because of because of. It doesn't deal break it for me. It's, I, I just, like I say, and I even think it's a sound idea. I think just the realization probably could have used just a little, little extra something, just a little more seasoning on it, maybe. But, but I, but better than blowing but you're, what you the say guy about, away on the bridge. <laughs> and it's what you, what you say about Matthew being really attuned. Yeah, he seems to, from the beginning of the story, he seems to know exactly what to nail down. Look, we just got to get these passengers out of this car, right? I don't, Two things. He's focused on getting the passengers out of the car and how the hell are going to get out of town, you know? Right. And they, like, how and are he, they getting away? This is really yeah. dumb. Right. And he's so, he's so, in, he's so intuits that to the point where he makes fun of Shaw about it just to yeah. keep pushing him to see if he's going to break and, and reveal something. And Shaw is steely, you know, he's not, he's not going to come out of his shell uh, no matter what you do. But a lot of the situation, like when he negotiates for times, like what if they just get it to the station on time? You know, why don't you know just give me that? You know, and he he literally managed to break Shaw down to to concede. All right, if they get it to the station on time, I won't kill anybody. You know, and then of course some idiot takes a shot at them, the whole thing falls apart. Blah blah blah. But um, <laughs> so I I I I think they established math out for me enough that i i'd be like yeah right i could believe he would have done that his the other guy was stiller stiller's dad um he he was just in and out he was just he almost burned the money alive just so he could light a cigarette so he wasn't he wasn't uh certainly it wasn't going to be the guy to solve that mystery so it would, okay. it would have had to be uh math out um and of course if the guy didn't make that speech to that angry speech about like he being a working man, they yeah. would have been long gone by the time he sneezed. That's right. That's right. Also, if the guy, if um, if it wasn't Mathau taking the initiative to go himself, and they just sent some schlub to do it, you yeah. know, that guy would have got away with it. So it's just one of those like you know, uh, one of those payoffs that they were they were setting up for you. I love the movie. I think it's fantastic. It's a it's another one of my uh, new favorites um, mm-hmm. from this. I'm very appreciative of you for picking it. So oh. thank you. And well, uh, great film. There's a, there's another movie that I watched recently that actually, again, it's, it's, I mean, it doesn't feel like it, but it's an interesting companion piece. 
Have any of you guys seen Cops and Robbers with Joseph Bologna and Cliff Gorman? No. Donald Westlake wrote it, who's okay. one of my favorite authors. It's It looks from the poster like it's going to be a comedy, but it's a pretty downbeat movie. <laughs> and I think it's What's a year? earlier. I think it's 1970. Um. It's really good, and 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 for a lot of the same reasons. Except in that one, it's two cops who basically just can't take it anymore. It's they just cannot <laughs> take being cops anymore. I like it already. <laughs> I won't say I won't say anything more about it. I'm gonna actually respect the spoiler thing, mainly because it's a far less well known movie. So it's yeah. you know it's yeah. not part of kind of the canon of classics. Yeah. It's a movie that most people are like, nope, never heard of it. Yeah. Um, 73. Okay, okay, there you go. So it really is just right on the, the year I was born. time period. It's it's pretty great. It's great in a different way, but um the New York again, another love note to New it's York. It's very, very New York, very outer boroughs. These are, you know, Queens on the right on the border of Long Island, guys. Very kind of depressing how that part of New York looks, and they shoot it really well. It's really effective. Um, this isn't a spoiler, but there's almost a bird's eye view of all of these interconnected backyards um, with just the probably the um long island expressway in the background yeah it's bleak it's just you know the sky <laughs> is bleak everything about it is bleak and in that moment you just get why these two guys can't take it anymore it's just <laughs> and this is their leisure time you know the job um it's it's really good it's one i had never seen before um and it's really worth it worth tracking down okay like i will definitely watch that I, I love this movie. Uh, I, I can't believe I hadn't seen it before. Uh, and I wrote down lots and lots of reasons why I liked it so much. The main reason. Had you, is, have you seen the, re- did you see the remake? No, okay. I didn't. Cause I'd never seen the original. I usually won't watch a remake if I haven't seen the original. Gotcha. Except for Mortal Kombat, which I was forced <laughs> to. <see. laughs> I think, I honestly think my opinion, I think you shouldn't. I Should think if you, yeah, movie. I think if you like this movie as much as you you say you do, I, I think the I think the remake is a good movie, but you, it won't it right. it doesn't get the stink of the old movie the original movie off of it. You know, it I doesn't. It, he he can compartmentalize well enough. I think. Uh, I, <laughs> I just think I just think it's well, not gonna. It does all the things that you hate, you know, about modern movies. You know, it doesn't. Okay. So you know, that's just my opinion. You definitely oh, you why, know I, you I, know me. I think I got an and idea. I got it. Me. I just get yeah, an idea me. about who you are, and I just he go knows with it. me. <laughs> he knows me. I'll give him that. Um, so, the number one reason I like this movie is I've never seen any, almost any movie that nails the tone of one of my favorite action movies of all time, and that's Die Hard. And this movie came real close to nailing that tone, and it came, you know. 14 years before it there's there's this air of just inserting little social commentary amidst the suspense just little lines little things for math out other people and whatever that keeps you like off balance and you know balancing this 
weird level of humor with this amazing level of suspense. And I, I'm probably not even describing it well enough, but whatever Die Hard does, this movie does it too. Obviously, there's a lot more pure action in Die Hard, and this is more pure suspense, but the tones uh, I thought were similar. It's obvious other people borrowed from this movie. Uh, Quentin Tarantino, number one. I'm assuming that's where he got the ideas it for is. Reservoir Dogs, correct? Yeah. Okay. I, I just made that assumption. I really like how you don't find out who the who the cop on the train is until you know the last possible moment instead of having something happen before that moment. Yeah. And I call that the the shoot to kill trope because that's one of my favorite movies from the 80s. And I'm that's sure there's other movies film. that have done it have done it well, but Shoot to Kill I thought did it the best where you had no idea who the killer was, but you knew it was one out of a, a group of people. So I love that. I love movies that are so logical that they like, there's never a moment where you're like, Oh, that, that wouldn't happen. All kinds of, you know, people make mistakes, people die, you know, not all the hostages are saved, you know, not all, not all, you know, one of the killers get one of the group of, of, of hostage takers gets away. The others die. Um, I've never seen a movie get timing, right. Where there's a deadline and you have to, you, you know, you have an hour and you felt like they didn't go over that hour and they didn't come in under that hour. And Robert Shaw was relentless. He wouldn't, he wouldn't, you know, give anything until Walter Matthau finally just realized he could easily lie to get away with something. That kind of logic and, and just the basicness, basicness of it is, is what really drew me to this movie. Um, I, I love movies like that. And again, this is a lot older. So I'm just imagining people watching this in the seventies and it's a good little thriller, but there's all this stuff on the side and jokes and, and they, people in the theater must've been just like at times, not really sure what they were watching uh, unless they missed it. Of course. It's done so well. And I think that there's a lot of like, you pointed them out as like, not necessarily simplistic things, but there's a lot of just really cool basics that this movie handles really well that I think a lot of modern screenwriters completely overlook now. They're so, they they're so busy trying to make the next great Kaiser Soze moment that, <laughs> you know, they're worried they they just overlook of just really good storytelling. Yeah. It's, and there are, this is, this, it, they're all simplistic little things. It's all in the writing and you know, it works and, and you don't have to try so hard to weave something intricate. I have no problem with the sneeze. It set up the whole movie. I, you know, I'd never seen it. I had no, I, I had no idea that was coming at the end. None, <laughs> zero. And that's, that makes me happy because I've seen a lot of movies that I can still be fooled. And I knew from the introduction to the movie that was, that I watched it on, on uh, HBO max where some guy introduced it and said, it's got one of the best final shots ever in any movie. And I was waiting for him. Like, what are they going to do here? How are they going to make this great? And it still got me. It's still <laughs> I feel, I feel like a monster for even saying anything. The only thing that kind of didn't work for me about that was that because of all this fucking COVID stuff, I'm like, why are you so close to him while you're sneezing? <laughs> 
That was, that was driving me crazy. Like that they were stuck in the me. they were stuck in the yeah. brakeman's room, and I'm like, oh, like get that guy away from you. You're gonna get whatever the fuck he's got. That's the only thing that was making me crazy. That and when the mayor, the mayor was so sick, they were giving him like B12 in his ass, and that other guy was in the mayor's face, like trying to get him to to uh to to like to relinquish a million even in 1974 a million dollars was nothing in manhattan you know so like the fact that they had to pry that loose from the mayor you know while he was on his deathbed was was another like and that scene just ends and you never see those people again that's a full-fledged scene of bureaucrats and you and 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 you get everything you need out of that scene, and then you never see them again. It's not like That's there's a diehard. Yeah, That's exactly. Right yeah, you get that uh, little like reference where the where people start booing when the mayor shows up, but they never. Yeah, yeah. And they know it's him. <laughs> no. Oh, That's and that line, that line's like they might not all boo for you. Because like, why is some of them out of from out of town? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that line. Oh my and god! They, and then you never see the mayor in that no, scene. No, and that's that's brilliant right there too. Do you know why the mayor is sick in this movie? No, no, because that throws you off. Oh, from from the, the sneezing of the guy. That's oh. how they get you because they have him sneezing and sick three or four times at the beginning of the movie. Then the mayor comes in and oh, he's got a bad flu too. And now you've forgotten about the other guy and his sneezing. Yeah. And that's how they get you at the end. Good point. I think it's just something brilliant. going around. So it's not a significant point that you should pay attention exactly. to. Exactly. He downplays it. He downplays the trope he's introduced at the beginning. And that's that's brilliant writing. Uh, that's just absolutely brilliant. You you guys have you guys have convinced me. I think the problem is this is and this is one of these things where when you've seen a, a something too many times, yeah, you, 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 you know it's coming. Because you don't hit it with that freshness if i'd never seen it before i guarantee you that would not have been an issue for me it's the fact that this is probably the 10th or 15th time i've seen it and so you know you, you, know, you get you know, nitpickier when you when you have seen there are only a couple of movies i can think of where i've seen them many many times and i don't get nitpicky but it's rare. I clapped out loud when when he sneezed. I said, "That's fucking great." That's how. <laughs> well, I've done my mea culpa. I I I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's great. It's 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 just great. The movie's hard edged. What else did I write? I love the fact that you know they're all have the disguises on, so they all look the same, so no one can really identify who was what. And then they don't mention it. They just change they show you visually what their plan was when they get mm-hmm. to the exit and they take up the mustaches and disguises i love how they didn't uh, have too much exposition on that um walter Matthau with the the yellow tie and like <laughs> just this he's the caution light in this movie and yeah. it's this big yellow tie and i thought that obviously that was intentional that was great i don't have a problem uh, here we might get into a little trouble here. I don't have a problem with the raw language, the racism, the stuff that people are saying at different times. To me, it felt like the writer had that in there on purpose. He had points where they were making fun of the Japanese people, and then the Japanese people get get their goat at the end. So it's not like it's just blatant, like we're going to call people names and whatever. Right. Oh no, I didn't. You know, I didn't think. You know, when I say it was. Casual. No, no, maybe it's casual just because just... it is. It's so conversational. But to me, it's also it... integral to the to the whole tone that they're creating. I mean, for sure. 
for sure. And the, you know, the, um, you know, Hector, uh, Elizondo. 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 Yeah, I mean, he, you know, he used the one real bad racial epithet in the movie and it's that it's real quick and it's during a scene of violence and it's, it's effective. Now you hate him more than everyone else in the film. <laughs> um, Which is really funny for, for that actor because he's usually yeah, yeah, never seen right. him play a bad yeah. guy. Yeah. He's I don't usually think, the even uh, keel one. That was the first know? thing I'd ever seen him in. And it was one of those things, you know, when you're a kid, you're almost very parochial about when you see someone play a role, you know, it's, I mean, this is right. Yeah. If you are a normal human being and you mature with age, you stop conflating actors with the parts they play. But, you know, when you're a kid and you see a guy play a really bad person and then you see that guy playing a really nice person, it throws you in a way that it doesn't yeah. throw you later in life. And I remember the first time because that was the first thing I saw him in and it made an impression. And then, you know, I saw him later playing just some sweet guy and I was like, wait, that's that's Mr. Gray. That's- you, see him in pre- you see him in Pretty Woman and you're like, what? He, he yeah, got the yeah. back. But the great thing they, they did is they didn't even overdo that. No. no. There's a tendency to like, oh, go, that guy's going to do a Wayne grow and start killing, right. you know, like, you know, hostages all over the place. And he, he's got this one moment so that he could stand out in, in, in the crowd. But for the most part, he's, you know, then the, the next iteration of it is you have uh, Robert Shaw going, I don't like that guy, you know, and that that almost elevates his his uh, his instability more than his behavior, oh, yeah, you know, oh, yeah. when, well, when one, of, one of your own guys is like, mm, there's you know? that great comment where he's like, well, why do you think he got kicked out of the mafia? Right. You know, clearly, <laughs> yeah. he's an asshole. You know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's one. That's one line. All you need is that one line to develop his character further, yep. and that's that line. You know, sp- speaks volumes. The uh, it, it, I can I could have sworn, and I didn't go back and check it, but when Walter Matthau leaves the tunnel and and tells the officer on the ground, it I thought he says, "We're going to get you an ambulance, Miss." Yeah, he does. Okay, so that I mean that little thing just because he never sees the face yes. and the person has long hair—that's brilliant. That's brilliant. That's I mean that's that's outside the box. I'm sorry. That's maybe that's just a cheap joke. Well, no, the because seven. they make a point going through early in the movie where they talk about that he knows there's an undercover cop on the train, mm-hmm. but they don't. He makes a point of saying, "Well, is it a man? Do we know if it's a man or a woman?" And then at one point, he even mentions the fact about it. Well, if it's a dame, then there's a problem, you know? Yeah, they they, right, they right. for some I mean, reason yeah. they start leaning heavily towards it being a woman, <laughs> yeah. you know, like for no reason <laughs> whatsoever. A dame. <laughs> yeah, love it. Well, I mean, that's, 1974. Yeah. <laughs> When the train's going out of control and the woman is doing the Buddhist <laughs> chant, yeah. I mean, I, I'm just dying. That's just great. That's just like you're on an out of control train and you're trying to find peace, and you're there's no way you're finding <laughs> peace in that moment. I don't give a fuck who you are. There's just no <laughs> way. But she's trying. She's trying. The last ten minutes of the movie as far as story structures should not work that it really shouldn't work. It just, it's, it's them trying to find these guys and now they're on this hunt and going all over the city, but it does work. And especially with the, obviously the last suspenseful scene in his apartment. Uh, and so you're on his side. And in, in that scene, there's a complete reversal. Yeah. There's yeah, a moral reversal. Be caught or not. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that scene's way off balance and great. Um, the the credits it, it, the credits have you read the credits for the people mm-hmm. on the train yeah. mm-hmm. 
they're all stereotypes. Yep. The homosexual, the thing, the accountant, the, thing. the old man. Yep. This guy who wrote this, man, he's I don't know who it was he's from New York. I, <laughs> I mean, just he was way ahead of everyone in this movie and out of the box. I mean, it that makes me happy that he just he he you know, I don't know if it was his idea to put that in the credits. I'm assuming it was. It was just there's so much brilliant stuff in this movie. Um, I, I don't I can't even get a knock on this movie. I think the only knock I would have would be they put in the two titles for when they go to the mayor's house and when they go to the the um the bank or the uh I don't I can't the words escaping me right now, the uh where they get the mm-hmm. money. Yeah. Oh, the, uh, yeah, the Fed or wherever the Federal Reserve. And they put titles up for those two things. You don't even need titles. No. It's obvious who's in the next scene and what's happening, but they throw those up. That almost feels like they felt like they needed to. That's the, you know, that's the only knock, but I had, uh, I had two problems with, and I, and I'm, and I am, I hesitate to actually say them because it's not the only thing that kind of bugged me a little bit. And it didn't. Yeah. It didn't actually to, to, to be 100% honest with you. But if you you have to point at something, it's a quirk. If if someone (laughs) asked me to, it's a quirk. The, the guys take a little too long getting out of that tunnel. Like the, the you know, Robert Shaw, they kind of, I know it's the way they edited it because they edit it between the cuts of the train speeding right. off. But they take a little too long, especially when the guy says, like, it looked like someone jumped out of the back of that train. Something fell off the back of the train. Yeah. Yeah. You would, you would think they'd be like, okay, let's get the fuck out of here before a, an army of cops comes up from that way, even though they got a long way to go because it's miles and miles away or something else happened. Like, you would just think they would get out of there really fast. And they take, just because of the, that's not them. It's the way they edited the scene. It just looks like they took a leisurely long time to disrobe mm-hmm. and take all this that's stuff true. off. They did get into a fight with uh, Alonzo. So, uh, Elizano, excuse me. So it, that, that will slow you down. The other nitpick, which isn't even important, is it's not that easy to electrocute yourself on the third rail. You can't do it. You can't do it that easily. That's well, yeah. You would you would instinctively, even if you could do it that way, you'd probably instinctively pull your leg away after. I, yeah, you would. You would. Well, he would have burst in the, the a, a million things would have happened to him first because that's all. That's almost all the electricity in the city channeling through yeah. your body. You know, but. It just it, and that's, that's not even a that's not even a problem. That's yeah. not that's that's got that does nothing to the movie whatsoever. But that's the only thing. It's like wow, this guy's because I remember watching it only this time when and and knowing that the cop is sneaking up on them, and I remember thinking to myself, wow, isn't this great? There's another action sequence coming. Like there's another there's another element of suspense that they were they managed to trigger with this cop that just kind of jumps off this train, and now you are almost rooting for the bad guys to get away. Because there's there's a there's a spoiler coming, you know. There's there's some guy who's gonna fuck the plan up, and there's nothing there's nothing more wonderful than a plan in a in a story like you just watching a, a plan like kind of come right. together. And then so when anybody, even the good guys, when they mess up your plan, you're a little you're a little ticked off about it. Yeah. And I I just like why are these guys still there? You know why is this guy still t- leisurely taking his jacket off? And whatever, and then he gets shot. They figure they fooled him with the train. Yeah, I guess that was the main thing. I you, you did remind me though. I love that the cop who was on the train he gets hurt merely by jumping mm-hmm. off that train because yeah, it's he, a dark tunnel and he landed wrong or whatever. That was 
He ain't really John McClane. He certainly is, and he nails a guy. You know, he get he he does. He's not superfluous. He actually right. You know, and he actually pulled something off. Uh, the other bullshit thing was 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 Shaw actually nailing him in that in the darkness. I'll, I'll accept. <laughs> I'll accept that was a that was a. a I was going to say they're not for the gun blast. They, yeah, they're they're for that movie so. would be pretty sparsely attended at By this the way, point. But Latham, just so you're uh, as a, a quick addendum to what you just said about the screenwriter he's the guy who wrote charade oh really? no way oh, yep <laughs> yeah and it, it shows charade is really yeah what's his name peter uh peter stone he had, he adapted the original source novel that guy's a, uh exceptional and then yep. yeah oh he's dead that sucks uh, <laughs> well yeah it was a <laughs> As so, many, while ago. as so many of those people are. <laughs> yes. Men- yeah, yeah, I mean, why, why wouldn't he be dead? <laughs> yeah, 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 on the 40th anniversary, it's just uh, Alizano who's doing a commentary. Yeah, yeah you right. Know? So it's, it's, there's really no one left to, to do anything about it. <laughs> he did uh, the movie. But I think I got a bare bones Blu-ray. Uh, yeah, I, anniversary edition. I make sure for those things specifically. If it didn't, if it was a bare bones one, I wouldn't have bought it. You know, I, I wouldn't because um, I like that stuff. I love I love all those uh, ancillary materials and stuff like that. Yeah, that's but, what physical media is for. Yes. You wrote uh, Just Cause with Sean Connery and mm-hmm. Lawrence Fishburne. I saw it a while ago. I remember it being decent. I don't really remember it, but um, what else you got? Uh, I got nothing. That's that's oh, that's, that's everything. I thought for sure you would bring up the uh, the music. Uh, oh, the music! I love the, I love the score. The score yeah, for this, uh, especially, really. and it's and a, a great story about this. So when the credits started, and the score actually almost picked up, um, I was like, "Wow!" It's like really like pumping out over the credits. Yeah. Turns out, uh, the guy who wrote the score was a guy named David Shire. Uh, his wife at the time, actress Talia Shire, uh, is mm. the one who suggested that he go back to the main theme and do like a pumped up version to cover over the credits because they had asked him uh to do an extended piece for the back end of the film because i knew they knew the credits were going to be at the end the full credits were going to be at the end and they wanted something to run a little longer um so talia shire was actually the one who suggested huh. to him that he, he do like this slightly pumped up version to go over top over the top of the credits that's pretty great uh Steven Spielberg uh, apparently was in the running to direct this. That would have worked. Yeah, would have been interesting, huh? Would have been like that would have been, been what his f- first his first feature. Uh, maybe a second. I mean, he might have done Sugarland by then by now. Yeah, Sugarland was done by then. Okay, yeah. but it might have could it might have thrown a it might have thrown a a, a a monkey wrench into the Jaws plan. So who knows? Maybe because it's just a year later. Yeah, well, it's just a year so, later. New York City, New York City at the time was edging toward financial crisis. Crime had risen citywide, as depicted in the contemporaneous Death Wish, and the subway and the subway was perceived as neither safe nor reliable at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of like the way it is right now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> since the film's release, no number six train that leaves Pelham Pelham yes. uh, Station leaves at one twenty three. <laughs> there is no Pelham one two three. <laughs> um, they don't even really explain yes. why it's called Pelham one two three in this movie. Yeah, they do. It's real fast. It? So Walter Matthau mentions it to the Japanese guys. How it's like the, the, the designation on the train is the time that it leaves. Okay. It's it's uh, terminus. 
because they make a big deal about why it's named Pelham One Two Three in the remake. I do remember that. Like that's right. a, it's, it's which is after a... they had stopped calling the trains that way. Mm-hmm. So yeah. which is even funnier. Yeah. yeah. Um, in an interview, the producer said this film did terrific box office in New York, Toronto, London, and Paris, all cities with subways, <laughs> and that, but otherwise was generally considered a flop at the rest of the world. <laughs> wow. wow. Yeah. Uh, the, well, this is my. You mentioned before, like you know what is the response to something like this at the time it's released? And I do always wonder with movies that are really, really location specific like that, um, how it, it, you know, it has to be perceived as something really exotic to people elsewhere. Right. To pull them in. And like something like that, if, you know, if you're, I, I, I just wonder like, yeah, what would a, well, and you just answered my question, but, you know, there there are so many movies, again, those gritty New York movies, something also like across 110th Street. Right. You know, what yeah. the hell did people outside New York make of that? You know, just, <laughs> yeah. like that is like basket case. <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> what a heap of shit. <laughs> Gosh. This, this I is, just watched. I just watched a Frank Henenlotter movie last night. So there you yeah. go. Oh, sorry, uh, I mean, I forgot. One one last little uh, snippet of fun stuff for Lay. Uh, so this uh, this movie has inspired two songs. Uh, the band Deadly Avengers did a song called "We Took Pelham," okay. and the highly uh, oh, underappreciated is the best. Uh, the best I got. Anyway. Uh, a underrated band called, probably a, a band called carter the unstoppable sex machine yeah i know who they are did a, a song called the taking of peckham one two three oh no. which is a, a british play on the pelham one two three and oh, uh, more puns. what's that you said more puns yep just what this podcast needed i was a big was I, was awesome a, I was a tremendous fan of carter usm back in the day so um and then the Beastie Boys have two lines in the in their song "Sure Shot" that yep. directly refer to uh, to. This I song. quoted those lines when Latham was poo pooing the idea of yeah, watching right? the taking of Pelham One Two Three. <laughs> yeah, and I missed the reference. <laughs> I will say this is the best movie I've watched on the podcast that I had not seen before. Wow, it's my favorite movie that we've done that I had not seen before the podcast. It makes me okay. very happy. Yeah, Bob, you have no idea. You, you've no idea what you've achieved. You have yeah, no Bob, idea. You have no idea what you achieved, <laughs> but you only have to wait about five more minutes before that I, gets taken oh, down. I don't, like I don't, a burning I don't know. I am, I, am, I am very aware this is a giveth and taketh away episode. <laughs> <laughs> I, am, I am giving you the keys to the kingdom, and then I'm going to burn it down with a fucking dragon. I I don't do anything in half measure. So. <laughs> no, you don't. Oh, no, but tonight you, you don't. did. Tonight you did. Well, that, anyway, that I, that I believe is all we have to say on the taking of Pelham one, two, three. Oh no, we got to go another four and a half minutes before we start the next movie. <laughs> I already declared five minutes is okay. Go ahead. Well, the one thing, the one thing I noticed because of course I had to look at my phone uh, to. Uh, flagellate myself for not getting the ordering the right blu-ray i did notice that one of the bonus features is actually uh with my friend josh olson who oh. uh whose movie night it is tonight right, there you go uh his trailers from hell is one of the bonus uh features nice. so. <laughs> i did think it was it was pretty impressive the way um i think that's just because of uh also because of 
the, the age that we are. Um, I've had a couple of bosses like that. This, you know, these kind of guys, sort of schlubby kind of guys, that, you know. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as the shit hits the fan, they just, you know, they're they're the they're the center of attention. You know, they're the focus. They have the the whole thing covered. I I was really impressed with how quick Mathau just kind of commanded that room. You know, I mean, I think it was a little not. And again, this is not a problem with the film. It was a little forced that he, the guy had to pick the other guy up by his collar and toss him because he was yeah. being so callous about his trains. But um, but it is kind of a because you don't get a boss fight at the end of the film. It is kind of a physical yeah. release, you know. Sure. I felt like that was a diehard moment again. Like it was just so forced. It was like the writer was trying to make a point, and I yeah. didn't fully get it, but it was. Again, it was great. There's just a, a the all the dialogue between, especially between like all the guys in the train room. Um, there, there's just a, you know, there's just a such a natural ebb and flow to that speaking between everybody, uh, back and forth that you just, it's one of those things where it just seems like it's natural conversation. It doesn't seem like it was written dialogue. Yeah. When Robert Shaw starts talking to them, it's still creepy. You know, you know yeah. it's Robert Shaw, you know, and he's like, I've taken your train. And he's just real. And then not only that, <laughs> taking it where? <laughs> with the what do you mean yeah, he's taking he, a train? Where did he take energy it? in that room stops? You know, like mm-hmm. that's that's another that's like I always said for, for the movie uh, uh Rogue One, it's uh that 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 scene at the end with Vader in the hallway. It isn't really Vader there or him igniting his lightsaber, it's this really quick push in they do on this one rebel soldier. Who's like we are absolutely fucked, <laughs> like yeah, yeah, you know, and that's kind of what sells the drama of the moment. Um, it's it's not this colossal black knight with a laser sword, you know. It's just yeah. that that one personable moment. So uh, so now is when uh, we would uh, go through uh, something we call the Martini Bob, where we go through and look at the the bodies of work of the director. Of bodies the main for film. money. Bodies so this would be for the guy- money. Joseph Sargent, who directed uh, Taking a Pella 1, 2, 3. Now, he's got 92 director credits, Mm. uh, the majority of which are made for TV movies. He's a big TV movie guy. Um, He did another, he did an 80s horror film called Nightmares, which uh, I don't think I've seen that. It's another anthology film. I can see the poster for that. Isn't there like hands? Yeah, hands with eyes. Yeah. Uh, he directed he directed Jaws the Revenge. Oh boy. And wow. Uh, wow. That's a pock mark. Uh but he directed uh he directed the film MacArthur. He directed one of my favorite, if not my favorite Burt Reynolds movies, uh White Lightning. Oh, I've never seen it. By the way, the guy that I watch most of these terrible movies with is my friend Adam Rifkin, and of course he directed right. Bert's last movie. So, right. Huh. Adam Adam uh, sounds more like you guys. During the movies, he will constantly be saying "fuck these people." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, he does. Sometimes you got to. He directed a a seventies sci fi movie that I always wanted to see, and I and I. I've never been able to to come across when I wanted I had time to watch it. Um, Colossus, the Forbin Project. Oh, that's that's. I mean, yeah. I haven't seen it in ages, but that was a good one. Very ahead yeah. of the curve of the dangerous supercomputers genre, right? Yeah. The yep. 
cautionary tale. I guarantee you Cameron saw it and said, oh, that's Skynet. That's that's my plot. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'll steal this. He did a lot Colin of that. Ellison and I'll steal the rest from Forbin. Looks this like this guy went Cameron. TV. And then I'll brag about it like a like a maroon. <laughs> and so Harlan Ellison was like, oh, really? I <laughs> worked with a lot of top actors on TV movies. He used yeah. Matthau again. And I just have never heard of any of these movies. So, oh, he did the Karen Carpenter story. He also did uh, Golden Girl, that movie with uh, uh, Susan, the hell's her name? Susan Anton. Oh. The Nazi doctor trying to make a, a superwoman for the Olympics. Wow. And then he also did a, a, the biopic on MacArthur with Gregory Peck. Yeah. But then uh, after Nightmares is pretty much almost, oh, I'm sorry, after Blood, Arthur Jaws the Revenge, uh, it's pretty much all made for TV stuff. Up yeah, until he, he just went to TV. Got a lot of nominations. Uh, oh, he did the Sybil remake. Yeah. Oh. Then he died. Oh, well, God. he made one thing after that. Jesus. <laughs> I'm just saying. Then, then somebody killed him. <laughs> he he made another movie and then he died. So what I mean. The Long Island Incident. What is that? Oh, look at that. that. It's a, a dramatization of the that Long Island uh, train shooting that we mm-hmm. were talking about with... Uh, with Laurie Metcalf. Interesting. Big, big, big deal. That in the Central Park uh, jogger. Remember those right. growing up. He took on crime and punishment. That's not something that's impossible or anything. Oh, he's back and he's got a life preserver. I'm sorry. I <laughs> Basically, my, my other dog was getting upset. So. Oh. <laughs> that's funny. He's like, what's going yet? on in there? <laughs> yeah. Someone's getting what? all the attention. He's what kind of racket is this? He's old and he's blind, so Aww. can't leave him alone for too long. He woke up. How, and, how, old, how old? Uh he's he's eleven and change, but he's not okay. a young eleven. <laughs> it's not the years, it's the miles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now he's happy. Dun, 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 dun. See, now it looks like a weird ventriloquist act. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It does. I would watch that one. Um, yeah. So yeah, without uh, without having seen probably most of his TV movies, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that uh, Pelham. Just, just, just that, to clear them all good. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> they're well, all brilliant. That, well, that the Pelham is uh, is probably his most successful. Uh, I, I want to read that book now. I have a real, real fondness for White Lightning. Uh, I just, I, for some reason, I, I, I just connected with that movie when I was a kid and I, I can't explain it, but I did, there's, there's a couple of scenes in that movie, especially one of the, one of the final ones uh, that just, I thought was just so amazing when I was a kid. And that's the kind of stuff that you just completely connect to. And it just, you remember forever. And even I just, I read, I watched it as recently as last year and I, I still really, really enjoyed it. I, I, I think that, I think that Bert in that movie is uh He's just he he's early fairly early on in his career, or at least early on from the, the superstar portion of his career, and he just he really he really just showcases how good of an actor he can be, in and and in, in being sort of that seventies heartthrob kind of guy. But I really he's, got, he's another one that's great at great at what he is, but I don't I think he's got like no range. He's uh, he's good at he's good at, he's kind of like Michael Cera. I think uh, I think if you I think if you watched White Lightning, you might change your mind. Okay, I have to see that movie. I haven't seen it. 
not that you know he, he does he does he, he ranges out a little bit and he does uh, do he does do a few Burt Reynoldsy the later Burt Reynoldsy sort of things Burt that Reynolds will Burt Reynolds on occasion yeah. but uh, there's a good, there's a there's a there's a lot of that movie that's deadly serious that's not a comedy in any stretch of the imagination yeah he's good at drama strict drama like Deliverance he's that's yeah fantastic right Oof. hard hard one hard one but brilliant so. Yeah. yeah, we actually we actually had Dean on a third time a couple weeks ago, Bob. He uh, he came he came with uh, what was it? Confessions in a Golden Eye, mm-hmm. and Reflections it, in a Golden Eye. Reflections, reflections in a Golden, in a golden Eye. eye. Sorry, reflections and, uh, in a Golden Eye and Spring Breakers. Yeah, those <laughs> yeah. were. Um, that was our reaction. <laughs> I haven't seen either of those. I you know I've heard some good things about Spring Breakers, but. Uh... Harmony Corinne. Harmony Corinne's not really my thing. Then you won't like Spring Breakers because it is the ultimate Harmony Corinne. Oh, okay. Duly duly noted. I, I I actually found it pretty kind of interesting, but that was that I, I was the he, I was you know? I was the dissenter in the crew. That's for sure. He was. <clears throat> I mean, other than Dean, of course, who recommended the film. <laughs> yeah. Well. But yeah, I mean, the guy had a Joseph Sargent had a solid body of work. Man, 92, 92 credits. So. And not and no cheap ones, no like uh, you know music videos or anything. The classic journeyman director. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I, I'm yeah. I'm sorry to hear that, but in that case, Bob, thank you so much for being unsentimental. <laughs> it was a pleasure. He's lying, thank you, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> lying to it. He looked us right in the I, eye and I, lied to it. I, I hope uh, I hope you enjoyed your time with us. I, I hope you'll. Uh, I did, and I promise you, I'm not a contrarian. You know, it's it's, it's just not everyone is going to agree about everything. No, no, absolutely. Yeah. So if they did. Yeah. Thanks to Fesleyan Music. Please check out our website at cinementalpod.com to listen to all of your previous episodes. And don't forget to download and subscribe to Cinemental wherever you enjoy your podcasts. You can always listen to new episodes at cinementalpod.com. Also, you can follow us on all major social media accounts at cinementalpod. For Hassan Godwin, Latham Conger III, Bob Fingerman, and myself, we say thank you so much for listening. And to the words of our friend and subway hostage savior, Truman Burbank. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night.